Hi everybody. Please, when listening to this episode, take into account it was recorded in, I think, April of 2015. I'm only now got round to releasing it, of which I'm, of course, sorry, especially to the guests. Um, but it makes some of our conversation a bit uh, weird because we're talking about things that are in the future, but they've already happened, like... Uh, the audio for games conference this year uh, we're mainly talking about the audio for game conference last year as well so please take that into account when we're talking about things in the future for this thing most of it has already happened uh, with that being said i think it's still quite enjoyable conversation so uh, without further ado here we go Welcome to the Game Audio Podcast. This is episode 57. I'm Anton. Right next to me I'm on Damien. top over there. Here I am. I'm here. <sighs> this is like Hollywood Squares all of a sudden because we got all these video feeds going inside the Skype today. <laughs> yeah. Almost uh, all but, of them. Hey, great to be uh, back and uh, great to be recording another podcast, Anton. Man, good times. Oof. Yeah, busy. Still have to edit the last two, but yeah. Yeah, well, I like to fill up the pipeline and then it kind of bottlenecks at you. But yeah, my fault. You're the, uh, you hold the keys to the technical castle, so right. I'll leave it to you. Right. So, well, today's going to be exciting. Uh, we're going to talk, uh, it's kind of a different show for us in a way, because we're just kind of taking some broad gestural sweeps at uh, the London game audio community. Yep. Uh, we've got some... Uh, folks with us today, uh, I'll just briefly introduce everyone and then we'll kind of take a longer form to get to know you here on the podcast. But we've got uh, Michael Kelly from DTS and the uh, director for the AES London chapter. AES for games. Uh, we got Graham Gatherall, also runs the Procedural Audio Now over in London. And uh, Sam Hughes. Did I do it right? The sound <laughs> architect. Ow! Uh, who's been doing a bunch of outreach as well in the London community, as well as covering uh, events locally. Yeah, great to have everyone here with you. Good to be here. Hi. Yeah, cheers. So, well, let's, um, let's, let's do a brief round of introductions. Starting with Michael. Perfect. How did you end up in game audio, Michael? What was your first in? What the hell? Uh... So I, I I I played games for a long time, and I and I hacked games, and I made mods on the Amiga, and then I did uh, I did research in 3D sound, and I did a PhD in 3D audio, and thought I was never going to do games again. And then my first job I landed was um, as a sound designer on Broken Sword, and then I became lead sound designer because we realised we needed actually quite a lot to do it in a late late production schedule. So um, yeah, and then I moved on, went to Creative, then Sony, worked on PlayStation, and uh, Recently moved over to DTS, where it all kind of full circled back. So, yeah, <laughs> a bit of a journey. So, but how did you ever get up in that first job doing Broken Sword? Uh, probably like most people in those days, right place, right time. Um, obviously, I knew about audio, I knew about games, I could program, but that wasn't a requirement. Um, I don't know, I just like hitting things and making noises. And um, and so, yeah, I mean, I'd done, I'd done some like amateur sound design and stuff before, and I'd made some stuff for myself. So I had, I had like a mini show reel, but um, yeah, it, it just was. Yeah, that's that's it really. <laughs> cool. For what platform so, was that actually? Like, uh, what time are we talking about here? Broken Sword, The Sleeping Dragon. It was PS2, original ah, Xbox, okay. and PC. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And now your thesis was on 3D audio. Does it was. It still feel does it still feel relevant to you, the things that you were um, talking about? Or has it slipped into the past and uh, never to be uncovered? No, it's really weird, actually, because there's a massive resurgence because of VR. So, like, we were, you know, it's, talking about things like HRTFs, I think at the time it was always, uh, you know, we were always quite keen that any 3D audio solution, it was all about binaural stuff, um, had to be pretty... Uh, 
pragmatic. So this, there's all this fantastical concept of people going and measuring their own HRTFs and all that kind of stuff. Um, never seen that real. But even the concept of, you know, people always say things like, oh, you know, it's got great applications in games, but um, I think they kind of went away in the early 2000s. And then like now, even at GDC this year, just everything's about the binaural audio and the and the occlusion and obstruction and the early reflections modeling and stuff. So I don't know. Funny cool. uh, resurgence. Mm. I like it. I like the way that comes around and goes around. Uh, audio does definitely have the spotlight. I was at a symposium this past weekend in Seattle um, put on by DigiPen, and there was a smart guy named Edgar Chueri, uh from Princeton who, you know, had the big picture view of where 3d audio is is headed for vr and anyway yeah like you said gdc etc uh there was even some talk of that at aes london yeah there was which yeah we'll circle back to here in a little bit but uh great great to have you on the show michael yeah, uh, thanks for that to introduction here. uh what about you graham what was your my my pathway into to game audio um well I took a master's degree uh, about just over 10 years ago in, in sound design, um, having sort of <clears throat> throughout my 20s kind of worked in bookshops mostly and, and uh, you know, kind of in the book trade, I worked at Foyle's Bookshop for four years and uh, I was kind of working out what I wanted to do with my life. And um, Sound and film were sort of two really big things, sort of big interests to me. Uh, so I was kind of looking around for a master's degree to do and uh, I got into the uh, MA Sound Design course at Bournemouth um and and did that and then after that i i kind of thought i was going to get into film for tv and, and uh, sound for film film and tv um and i worked at a post-production house in soho um while i there for uh about a year um and that that didn't turn into anything at the end of it so uh kind of looking around for a job pretty desperately got into i'd always done web stuff and became a webmaster for the bbc for um three two or three years which is completely unrelated to audio um and then kind of made a desperate push for getting into game audio in about sort of 2010 i think i spent a year in vancouver um with my with my uh, now wife uh and while i was waiting for my um my work permit to come through i just i just immersed myself in game audio basically and uh worked for some indies and built up a showreel, built up some experience, did some uh, tutorials, um, got into doing a bit of procedural audio with Super Collider. Um, and, and that was actually back... the time that you were first on the show because that, that's back, right, yeah, back yeah. in 2011, I just looked it up, it was episode 11. Yeah, yeah. yeah. UDK and Super Collider, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was really cool. I mean, that was right at the beginning of my game audio uh, adventure, so to speak. And uh, so that was very... Uh, uh, very good of you to have me on. Well, it was very interesting. <laughs> yeah, cool. Totally. Uh, yeah, and so then I came back to the UK and um, uh, through the VGM list, I, I, I got uh, a, a gig at Climax. That was my first first job um, as an audio designer. Um, and uh, from there, I was on a project that was cancelled, unfortunately. So uh, a lot of the team was, was laid off. And uh, six months later, I, I, uh, I got a job at Rebellion, where I, I still am. So. Yeah, it's kind of kind of where I'm at. <laughs> it's kind of a roundabout, but I like the the trajectory and and that you kind of found yourself in a position uh, doing something, but not quite what it was that you wanted, and then were able to kind of focus and reshape your entire career path uh, because of your passion, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I found game audio it was, you know it was a kind of classic uh thing of you know it being a perfect match of of creative and technical um for me having had sort of quite a technical career and uh, my first degree was a fine art degree so i've always had a sort of creative bent shall we say and a bit of a technical head so yeah game audio was um the obvious way to go and uh, yeah haven't looked back since <laughs> right on great great to have you on the show cheers again yeah so uh how about you, Sam? What's uh, your your story? You've got a story to tell as well. Uh, mine's probably a bit of a varied story as well, I guess. Um, I still kind of consider myself kind of early on in my game audio path, so to speak. So I'm still on the path. 
But it all stemmed from music, really. I used to want to be a composer for video games when I was uh, a teenager, and I was, you know, playing electric guitar, thinking I could do video game soundtracks, and I kind of, yeah, you know, shredding around and whatever. And uh, I went to uni, and I thought, well, you know, I should do something, you know, more useful than, uh, you know, playing guitar at uni. I mean, I should do something behind the scenes, maybe. So I did a kind of music technology and audio systems degree. And by the end of it, I realized that I was spending more time on the vision and sound projects and kind of doing more sound design and just kind of syncing to video. And that's when I realized that I was more talented as a sound designer than I was a composer and I enjoyed it more. And that was just more where my, my kind of focus lied. And uh, not too dissimilar to Graham, really. I ended up in, in Soho working for a post-production house for a while and then that didn't kind of go anywhere. And for some reason, I focused on short films and kind of indie film projects. Um, but I also loved games, always, always loved games. And not long after I started The Sound Architect a couple of years ago, I, I managed to secure a scholarship to study a master's in post-production with sound design. And I, I tried to focus most of the projects on games there. And uh, at the end of it, I worked for, for three months at TT. And, um, and yeah, I just kind of focused on game audio since I realized, what am I doing? I want to work in games. Why am I not working in games? And then just kind of focused on it from that point, really. And it's just been a bit of a whirlwind since then, kind of on, on this and that. And, and here I am now. Yeah. Fantastic. Right. And well, you somewhere along the way kicked out The Sound Architect, which is a, a blog and resource uh, focused on games and sound in the industry. Can you tell us a little bit about how that kicked off and what um what that's about yeah sure i mean the, the sound architect has kind of become a much bigger beast than i uh, i originally set out to achieve i guess and uh it's been great originally it was just my website where i was kind of showcasing my sound design and then i was like well i know a few people in the industry i've got a few contacts it'd be quite cool to to share what they've learned and do some interviews and so i emailed a couple of people got some interviews set up and and to be honest, the first one was a surprise because it wasn't one of my current contacts. I literally contacted uh, Philip Kovats on Twitter and was like, oh, you know, I'd love to speak to you about the audio on The Last of Us. And he was like, yeah, great. Let's set it up. Let's do Skype. And I was just like, what? Wow. Cool. <laughs> and, and never since that time, two years ago, it's, it's just grown and grown and more people seem to be willing to chat to me about game audio. And it's a really passionate crowd. And, and I think that's been the big drive of it, really. I mean, game audio has ended up being more its focus. I mean, it is audio in general, but game audio folk just seem to be around and more willing to chat more. And it's been great. It, it's just, just been a fantastic experience. Yeah. And there's something to that genesis that I guess I want to kick off the, today's conversations about is just this idea that you had the idea to start building something and start it. And from there, it has grown into something, like you said, that has you know, you have refined over time with interviews, articles, and now, um, you know, you've been doing some live, um, uh, what do you call it, interviews, I guess, uh, at the BAFTAs most recently. Yeah. And I mean, so I'm kind of interested to hear more about that and just kind of generally get a perspective of the BAFTAs. I think coming uh, from this side of the pond, I have a lot more clarity into things like the Oscars, maybe, or the Grammys, strangely. But the BAFTAs are kind of off my radar in a lot of ways. So I'd be kind of interested to hear what your experience was like uh, at that awards ceremony and then also how that whole interviewing thing went. Because, again, I saw the one that you did with, uh, you know, Tim Schafer and the the voice artist who won for The Last of Us. And I thought that was just such a great outreach for game audio. So if you could talk a little bit about how that went down. Yeah, sure. I mean, it started off, I managed to secure a place in the press room, uh, which was, I won't lie, a big moment for the sound architect. That was really cool. Because uh, I've been to the BAFTAs the year previously, which was the first year they'd opened it up to the public. Um, gotcha. So I'd, I'd secured a ticket and then gone and attended and thought it was brilliant. And this year I was really fortunate enough to be in the press room after all the winners were were coming through and I really wanted to to capture that and kind of uh, kind of represent game audio I guess while I was there and it was just uh, a brilliant experience to to chat to the winners about 
their experience and people who are a part of the development, you know, massive people like Tim Schaefer as well, about their perspective on game audio. And I just really wanted to make sure we talked to people about it and got all the different perspectives from the winners and chatting to um, Ashley Johnson as well, the voice artist from The Last of Us. It, it's just such a well-rounded amount of people that are there and to, to feel the passion that is there for games uh, in the awards ceremony. It's really nice to be there and be a part of it and really kind of see how it all unfolds and, and how everyone is really respecting the genre more and more and taking game audio into account more and more as well. Yeah, and I think that that recognition piece is, is, um, is pretty important. Like you're saying, the, the passion is is one thing, right? We all get out there every day, do our jobs, and bring as much to it as we can. But then to be recognized kind of by the community, by your peers, and even outside of that, you know, by the gaming community, um, there's a certain kind of uh, positive feedback loop, I think, that comes from that, that it's it's great to hear that that was such a big part of the experience for you. Yeah, and um, I think it, it's quite different i think than the oscars with the baftas because i mean there's a bafta kind of section for each thing there's a baftas for tv there's a baftas for film and there's a baftas for games which sort of segregates each area and games hadn't had as much and it kind of still doesn't have as much recognition as the other awards but it's slowly getting there with its kind of live stream and now open to the public and, and getting more and more attention to it and and hopefully you know, in the future, it will continue to grow and will be just as big and be on TV as much as the BAFTA Films Awards. Totally. Cool. Uh, does Develop have awards as well? Yeah, yeah. yeah develop sure. develop yeah. Conference? Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, that'll be, again, a little out of touch with Develop, a little out of touch with uh, things going on over uh, in the UK a lot. But again, this is one of the the reasons we're having you on is to talk a little bit more about some of the things that have been going on. And one of those things was the Audio for Games London conference this year. Um, and I know some of you went. Michael, we, you had to go. You yeah, I was kind Sam, of obligated. <laughs> yeah, obligated. Sam, you made it. And then, Graham, you were kind of tangentially around it. Hovering on the, on the uh, perimeters, yes. Uh, right. But I, yeah, I couldn't make the conference, unfortunately. Sure. Uh, but again, that was uh, a grand event uh, as someone who, you know, helped a bit of um, on the coordination side. And you were there it, two years it, ago. And was As Anton, we, we were we were both there two years ago uh, reporting on it here uh, at the Game Audio podcast. And um, and so, you know, another grand event with a ton of really. Uh, it kind of brought a melting pot of different perspectives. And I guess, Michael, maybe you can speak a bit to the tone of the event this year and, and how, that, how that went off. Yeah, sure. Um, we never quite know. Like, so I think every year when we talk to people about presenting, um, they always say, what's the theme of the conference this year? And we've always been really open about that, that we, want, we really want the theme to be set by what people want to talk about. So hopefully that gives us the, the tone of the conference is, is what it should be, not what, what a bunch of, of people with, you know, maybe a, a narrow perspective um, uh, conceive it should be. Obviously, there's actually quite a lot of people, you, yourself, Damien included, that contribute to the, the overall content track. So hopefully our focus isn't that narrow. But nonetheless, um, I think we're always delighted every year well every two years formally with what with what we get out of it so like i don't know i, I was trying to think what the theme was even once we got all the sessions in and and sure. th there isn't a clear theme so i think the one we were expecting a lot of was going to be vr so we had a couple of people talk to us about vr but looking at the sessions it was the only one i think it's the obvious uh, future if you look into the future then that, that's the one people are most grabbing at the moment but i think um you know interestingly and graham will, will, will uh, probably a, a tone, uh, agree with this that um, we always pick up procedural audio. Procedural audio has been a theme for us probably since day one. Um, so I'd, I'd say that's like our probably biggest consistent theme that that's got its own um, vibe around it. But aside from that, I don't know. We had some we had some really varied stuff. So great, great was Joanna Orland doing the keynote from Sony, um, and we always tried to pick a good. Um, creative context for the keynote um, so, so she she was great 
really talked about kind of what sound design should be about and how sound design links with the technology because at its essence it's a technology conference and um so I think she set the tone very nicely. And then we, then we just had some things that um, I think we might have chanced it on a bit. Like we had the guys from Rovio come on and talk about um, Angry Birds. And obviously that's kind of the epitome of um, uh, successful uh, phone games. But I, I don't know. I don't know what the new version is like, but originally it was a mono game. So, you know, you might think what well, that adds to an audio conference. But so they talked about the brand and how like important audio was and the sound design and just creating the brand of what Angry Birds is. So I don't know. That, that was great. And then we had some just really low level technical stuff like David Thaw, um, who, who hails from Insomniac originally, um, talking about uh, rendering 3D audio using a convex hull. You know, like like real deep stuff as well. So yep. I don't know. It was David just... Thal, also also alumni game audio podcast, uh, was on one of our first procedural audio podcasts here. Yeah. So always love his perspective on yeah the like super deep and technical stuff, right? But you yeah, know, it's yeah. like if, if if the AES for games to me is also where I expect the audio programmers to go. You know, like the the GDC is where everybody goes, of course, but um. The, the AES for games is what I w- would expect all the audio programmers to show up for. Um, although I don't yeah, think well, especially, they are. Especially the papers track, right? Where you've got a lot of uh, academic work being presented, white papers and such, that really haven't hit um, development studios necessarily yet, but are poised to bridge that gap at some point, right? Yeah, that's Those, right. So, so the focus is really, if you were, if you were to pick like one discipline in games, then it's definitely the audio programmers. I think it's important for me, like in in the vision I have for it as the chair, that you've got to remember why we're all there. So it it is all about games. So all the ones I've mentioned are really about context. But yeah, it, it's talk like David's that um, get really deep. And then we had the guys from the Two Big Ears doing the VR talk. And then the papers one. The papers one's the really tricky one to pitch because that's the one where we want to get the stuff, like you say, that's not that's not established yet. The, the ideas um, that aren't even kind of implemented anywhere but could be. Um, and hopefully try and get the, the largely academics who write them a bit of feedback about the relevance and um, also get some ideas going amongst the audio programmers. And um, this year, it was probably one of our best papers tracks ever. We, we've tried different things like, you know, because we want to keep the industry focused, we try and um, we try and get people just to submit a very simple abstract, but then we don't know quite what the paper's going to look like. This year, we did full papers, and they all were directly around games. They weren't like game peripheral stuff like uh, spatial audio. They were, you know, like real, like, you know, music generation systems um, with a real context on how a game piece of middleware might might communicate with them and stuff so yeah no definitely right the the focus is audio programs and the technical side of game audio the things that aren't covered at, at develop or maybe more hands-on kind of things yeah now sam you did a, a presented a paper as well yeah i was gonna say michael's only being so nice about the paper session because i'm on here really <laughs> no <laughs> but no it was good it was really good um apart from the fact that i i had missed the session beforehand so I, I didn't know that they'd cut the guy before me. So I, I was still kind of like prepping myself, sat there going, right, I got half an hour, blah, blah, blah. And then they come up on stage and go, oh, yeah, and because the second one was is unavailable, uh, Sam Hughes. And I'm like, oh, what? Uh, okay. <laughs> just kind of had to dive up there. That's good. Not enough time to get really nervous then. Yeah, yeah. I was just thrown cool. into it. I, oh, there's plenty of time to get nervous. Trust me. Yeah. And what was the, the thrust of your paper then? Uh, basically, it was fear and localization. So it was exploring how you can emotionally fine-tune uh, sounds based on their source direction. So uh, long story short, I used a 16-speaker array to in a spherical arrangement to play sounds from different directions to see whether the direction itself affected how scary the sound was perceived by the listener. And did it affect uh, the, the, how scary it was? Uh, yes, but only only when context is introduced, because obviously that's kind of a key part of when you're listening to sounds. So there's sure. uh, there's various different different types of experiments, and um, basically once a once a ambience was introduced, then an effect was noticeable. So once they were given a sort of context to listen to the sounds in, because what, uh, as I, what I coined cold listening beforehand, just listening to the sounds from different directions, it didn't really change their their point of view until they were given that context, listening to the sounds within. 
um, which is kind of what I expected because obviously we rely on context quite a lot when listening to sounds. You know, if you're in a happy, good mood and you're in a sunshiny field, then you're not going to be as scared as if you're in a dark forest with cold wind and everything else going on. And did you then uh, correlate that back to if you didn't spatialize it like that with the ambience? Uh, yes, the, the, so there was a in the ambience section there was a, a mono version with everything just from the front, and then there was also the the spatialized version. So um, it was still found that affecting the uh, azimuth and elevation caused more of a change than if it was just on the uh, the front plane, right? Uh, front location, sorry. Was it a big difference? It was a significant difference, yeah. It was significant statistically. <laughs> so it was uh, it was quite worth looking at. And I'm actually going to be hopefully doing some more experiments to expand it more into a journal paper by introducing the diffuse field as well. Cool. Cool. Yeah. I remember it as a almost like a summer camp of sorts. It's a couple of very intense days uh, of just filling your brain up with uh, all kinds of great ideas and and information, uh, followed by evenings spent gallivanting around town as a group, very much an open community of people just really, you know, sharing their experiences and kind of trying to unpack the day's experience um, over drinks and, uh, and food in the evening. And so it really did encapsulate this, it, this, uh, this feeling of uh, what I think of as summer camp because it's very, um, I think a, uh, a big difference is between yeah. the GDC conference and the others is that at GDC, you have the few spaces that are audio, but they're still separated out. And the sure. difference with AES is that it's really just one big room and everybody's in that room and yeah. everybody goes to the same talks. Everybody's seen the same thing pretty much. And yeah, so you. the conversation is all about, the things that people shared, whereas with GDC, the conversation is more about what did you see? Oh, I saw this, I saw that. Okay, what did you think of it? Because I missed it. Whereas at AES, it's much more focused on having a conversation about the, the things that you witnessed together as a group. And actually at AES, I got to talk to pretty much everybody that was part of the conference. And yeah. I don't think anybody should attempt to do that at GDC. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I, I, uh, well, I, th we, um... I think we definitely try, Anton. <laughs> it's not well, we pick a same. very small niche of the people there, so that's true. That's true. You probably speak yeah. to most of that niche, though. Yeah, fair. Uh, not even fair. that. There's a lot of people. Yeah. So planning is already underway for the next Audio for Games conference. Is that uh, is that true? It is. It's absolutely true. I'm, I'm hoping to get the, the word that it's official this week. Um, so, so obviously the AES backed the conference and, and we need to get the uh, necessary agreement from them um, to go ahead. But um, we're breaking a, a cycle we've got of every two years. We always get this demand for, a, a, you know, at the end of the conference, everyone's like, oh, this is awesome. Let's Can we do it next year? And I'm like, well, you know, we're a committee of volunteers and it takes us like two years to reboot. But this year, you know, we just, at the end of the conference, I, I, I asked everyone in the audience in my closing speech if they if they would come if we did another one and i was expecting a corner you know some slow movement of hands maybe 60 percent, but it, it was an instant unanimous result so um so then i talked to the sponsors i talked to the committee and everyone's up for it so we're going to do it in february 2016 again see what happens um <laughs> it may it might kill me but uh, <laughs> we'll see well that's fantastic uh again it, it is one of the i don't know tentpole game audio events uh that happens over in the uk for sure um one of the other things kind of holding up the tent are the um is it monthly procedural audio now events it's uh it's mostly monthly yes there's there's a yeah. couple of there's yeah we skipped a couple of months just for um, we had a, like a summer recess once and yeah but yeah mostly monthly yeah <laughs> Yeah, everyone needs a summer recess. You gotta have a summer recess. Yeah, and uh, <clears throat> you had one that was. Um, how did it was... start? How did it, how did the yeah. procedural audio now start? Because um, uh, it seems to have come out of thin hair and really grown really quickly. Um, yeah. So it definitely filled a niche. But why in London, and why now, and how did it come about? 
well, I was in sort of end of 2013, I was um, thinking about getting a, a, a kind of procedural audio meetup together. Um, and I was, I gave a talk at um, a theatre, like a theatre sound design group uh, colloquium. Uh, I met somebody after that, Christian Heinrich, who um, who's a PhD researcher at QMU, and he was working in procedural audio. And we got talking and said, yeah, we, we should, uh, you know, we're in London. Well, actually, I'm just outside London. But, um, you know, we should get a meetup going in London and uh, uh, get everyone together. You know, we, there's kind of a disparate group of people interested in procedural audio that we thought would be cool to uh, bring together. Um, around about the same time, I've, I've got a friend who works at Skype who uh, mentioned that he had an opportunity to have uh, facilities and resources and sort of uh, a small budget to uh, host a meetup, a monthly meetup. And he asked me if, uh, you know, he knew that I was already doing the, the Game Audio Drinks meetup and kind of suggested that maybe move it to Skype. And, you know, so, and I said, well, rather than that, why don't we, uh, why don't we, why don't we do the procedural audio meetup at Skype? And, um, and that's kind of how it came about, really. Uh, once a month, um, we get a room. Um, we uh, they, they very generously provide um, pizza and beer, and um, yeah, that's kind of how it's come about. I, I did the first one in November 2013, um, and uh, sort of showed some of my UDK Super Collider stuff that I've been doing. Um, and then Chris did the second one, and then through Chris, I met some other PhD guys at um, QMU. Um, who have since uh, come down, Joe Lysk being one, um, and Rob Rob Hamilton's another guy that I knew. Yeah, so uh, yeah, just uh, it's kind of it's, it's a little bit of a challenge finding someone every month, but it seems to have worked out, and we've skipped a couple of months where um, you know it hasn't been possible to 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 find a speaker. But um, for the most part, it's 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 been fine, and uh, there's a lot of a lot of interest, a lot of willing speakers and uh you know generally get sort of 10 or 10 or 15 people in the room so yeah it's good do you feel like the procedural audio conversation i think michael mentioned you know it's been a part of the audio for games conference since inception and certainly i remember the first gdc i went to in in 2006 you know leonard paul was already talking about procedural audio uh even before it was a thing that we could really use in our mm. tool sets um, and I think, you know, uh, do you feel like now there's a greater, um, you know, need for it because there is that potential application in games or, uh, do you feel like it's gaining faster on actual real world application? Uh, I think it's, I think it's gaining faster on real world application. I think it's, um, over the last couple of years, I think it's just sped up like amazingly you know it's um you know obviously seen uh procedural audio in gta 5 and we're about to see some very cool stuff in no man's sky um and yeah i mean it's just it's kind of come at a good time really doing doing this meetup it's um and i've worked quite synchronistically with uh natural advances in the industry um yeah, yeah but it's, have, it's, so. it's interesting to me that the the you know that the uk scene is bringing about this technical stuff so much. So, like you're saying, we have the AES for games there, we even have the monthly meetup for procedural audio now. We've got GTA 5 doing procedural audio in, in, you know, from Rockstar in, over in the north. No Man's Sky doing completely procedural audio. All, and then, of course, the heavy guys who just went open on their beta, also in London. So, for some reason, there's something about this particular area of sound design that's that's maturing over in the UK right now. Why would that be? This is not this is not happening in this way anywhere else. So why? I, know, I think there's something in the water. Maybe I don't really know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, maybe there's more nerds in the UK. I think we perhaps. might have <laughs> higher density of nerds. I don't. Sorry. I really couldn't answer that. There's a bit of a feedback loop there in that. Uh, you know, the more you talk about it, the more people are thinking about it. Sure. And the more people are thinking about it, the more they're able to find applications for it. And, mm -hmm. and so in some ways, you know, it's a chicken or egg question. Yeah. Who knows why? But at the same time, I think that the more 
uh, conversations people have about it. You know, Rockstar at uh, GDC two years ago was, you know, a great ag- example standing outside of that talk uh, that I couldn't attend, but watching the jaws drop on their way out the door, you know, mm. was a testament to how far procedural audio has come towards being able to convince people that it is good sounding or good enough sounding, uh, right for the application. Well, I think like so. definitely Rockstar did the example where it's good enough sounding and it solved problems for them. Um, I'm like, they, they certainly had limitations on the PS3 and the Xbox 360 generations that they couldn't have worked around otherwise, I'd say. Right. Maybe, I don't know, or maybe they just did it because they could. But um, the creative applications of actually how far can we take this and what kind of sounds can we now create for games that we haven't heard before, that's going to come next, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe with No Man's Sky. Just to touch on a little bit of still of what it could be is possibly also sort of a cultural difference between uh, the European side, UK side, and, for example, stateside where the the teams are in the states very specialized in certain companies you know every role is super specialized and everybody's really good at a very particular niche and i'd say in general in europe people are more like michael you know going from from leads or sound designer to coder at dts like that's pretty much all over the place and no it's hard to generalize like that but I'd say that's pretty true. Like, sort of because this this niche of procedural audio requires very deep technical knowledge at this point, because we have to create the tools before we can make the sounds, right? Because it's still so technical and low level, but you also need to make it sound good. We need a place where somebody that is super technical is also able to create sounds that sound good. And if you are so specialized, if you are the most amazing DSP coder that can make only the very fastest reverbs, then you're not going to be making the sounds with the same DSP, right? So, but on the other hand, if you can do everything, you might not be as good as making super fast reverb, right? So I'm guessing, this is my theory, that because we have sort of less specialization, we can get the right mix to get this started. And that's why the fire is igniting in the UK right now. My we guess. have we have some gen, we have a lot of generalists, uh, perhaps. I mean, I, I I meet a lot of people at the game audio drinks and uh, like students and kind of up and coming sound designers and uh, quite often I I get asked if um, it's worth having code skills alongside uh, sound design skills and, and you know, kind of procedural audio and synthesis skills and um, and so it's it's fairly obvious to me that you know there's people thinking about this you know and kind of thinking that they need to have a really broad set of skills in order to bring something to to the role you know as an audio designer so i think yeah what you're saying about uh about multi-skilled sound designers in the uk is is probably quite true uh, based on you know the size of the uh size of the studios you know like it's my studio there's there's three of us you know so um we we do need to be pretty (laughs) pretty multi-skilled and that's um you know how many sound guys are there actually at Rebellion? Uh, there's three of us. Three of us? Three yeah, of you? Yeah. And how yeah. many games are you making at the same time? Uh, quite a few. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, several. More than, more, more than several, shall we say. Yeah, because I think uh, Alien vs. Predator was the, was the big one last year. Am I right? Uh, that was 2010. Uh, so it was, it was, it was, oh, uh, really? Stuck... It was that long ago? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it was a good game. It stuck in your mind, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> uh Sniper Elite 3 was was last year. Ah, um, okay. That was the big one last year. Um and uh Zombie Army Tree well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh one of the important things that I that you said in your last uh blast was drinks. Yes. And now mm, there's mm. a London uh community that gathers up for uh drinks on a regular basis as well. Yes, that's correct, yeah. Uh, uh you know I, I want to just. Okay, I'm sorry. Ah, uh, no, I just wanted to put a point on that because I feel like, again, like, like procedural audio now, like the sound architect, it's just uh, you know, there's a need, you fill it, you get together exactly, and it's not that it difficult happens. to do. It really isn't difficult to to set these things up, really. 
it just needs. I mean, you, just, you know, for the for the drinks. Um, yeah, well, you're um, in London. Everybody's drinking all the time, ev- anyway. Everybody likes a drink. I mean, yeah. so maybe there's a connection between the drinking, drinking and, and the bro- innovation. <laughs> <laughs> That's how they came up with procedural audio. Just so what down the pub. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, we have to get drunk enough, often enough to think that you can actually try. The, yeah, amount, yeah. the amount of intellectual property stored on the back of discarded beer metals. <laughs> <laughs> it's killing our country's economy. Uh, but I, I think, you know, joking aside, I think there is something to having a community meetup, which, again, you say it doesn't take a lot of effort, but it does take at least a person to put the flag on the moon and say, this is happening. But once it does, you know... There is something about bringing together that community of people in a in a place which really does drive technology, it drives creativity, it drives you know knowledge share between people mm. in the in the same way or similarly to a conference like audio for games develop etc right mm. and and so I think yeah I, I maybe it, make a point of it to to say to our listenership out there that if you are in a community and there's not some kind of meetup that is specific to what you're interested in, maybe it's time to find your people and start one because it can be that easy. And I think that the, the, um, what comes from that assembly could be the secret that we're talking about here. I was going to. I was going to say it's interesting. Um, all three of us have actually said the same thing. Oh, I don't know if I said it, but I was thinking it. So you know, with Sam, it was the like what what he started with the sound architectures just grew into something he never envisaged. Mm-hmm. Um, and with Graham, with the procedural audio stuff, and it's the same with the game audio stuff. We had no idea really. It sounded a great idea, and all the I worked with some really great people to come up with the ideas for that. And then um, we all kind of came up with ideas for a conference we wanted to go to. Had no idea how many other people did. And then you know, it's kind of if you book them, they will come thing it was just you know i think we've all had that reward there's there's a really good quote at the beginning of uh andy farnell's book i'm, I'm actually just going to grab it off the shelf and uh, I'm, uh okay talk, yeah, yeah. talk amongst yourselves well, while graham's getting that i was you know it all boils down to something that i've always said when anyone asks me about you know how how do you improve how do you do this how do you do this how do you meet people and it is just boils down to talk to people that's it you know a lot of people are too afraid to talk to someone who's either already in the industry or doing what they want to do. And, you know, it's the first step is everyone's too afraid for everyone to hear what they've done. And, you know, that that's the main reason holding them back. But, but don't just, just talk to people. We're all, we're all cool. They're all cool. That most of us will, will happily, you know, just talk to people about what we do, what they do, what they want to do. And, and, and that's what the core is really all these events that have grown into these big things all started because someone wanted to talk to someone else. Yeah, totally. And, and from what I hear and from what I've experienced, uh, the game audio community is, is extremely open to that kind of spontaneous interaction, uh, regardless of whether you know the person or not. I, guys, I couldn't find that. Uh, oh, <laughs> I, I, I I'm can't, spilling I can't dime it. here for this quote it's to come out. Somewhat, somewhat. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll have a look online. But, uh, yeah, Edge so. of my seat. Uh, it's it's, it's okay. something like before before there is a road, there's a path, or you know, before there's before something happens, you have to lay the, you have to start moving in that direction. Basically, you know, um, somebody has to do that. The paraphrase was good too. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, honestly, you know, it all, as everyone has said, you know, it. It comes from an idea, and from there, a lot of times, if it's meant to happen, it will. And sometimes it can't help but happen. And yeah. I think that, that that's what we have seen now, um, yeah, in, everyone, in everyone's story uh, about the UK scene. So, I, I don't know, I'm just like, sort of... For me, if for a long time, the future has been procedural audio, tools, workflow, all that stuff, right? But it seems to me like tools and workflow we're working very hard on. That's going to be super cool. It is already super cool, but in a couple more years, it's going to be bah, whatever. It's People are focused on it. It's the right track. Procedural audio is probably going to happen, I'd say. like as a, It's happening. It has happened. It's happening. It's it's happened, but it's not there yet. 
until I can drop procedural audio plugins in and out of my audio engine, it, we, it, we won't get there. No, but that's tools, and I'd say Heavy is solving We're, that for you right now. Working on it. Yeah. Working on it. Yeah. But, and spatialization is happening now finally as well. Like, it's been paused for 15 years. So, what's next? And this is the real reason we've asked you onto the podcast today, because we've already de defined that y'all got it going on, technically. So, we're looking for your insight now as to where we're going. I, th I, think, I think improving on what we've already got is probably where we're headed for at least sort of the next 10 years. I, I, and I, I guess so, because we have to catch up for 10 years on not doing it, but still. Something that you haven't, we, we haven't thought of yet is, uh, is brewing in amongst that. I can imagine it being something that comes from once we have procedural really, and once we have the tools really, because I, I can see very clearly now where everything is going. But once they're really there, will then this thing sort of pop out? Yeah, I'm I'd sorry. be interested to hear other people's... Well, Sam, you've done. been quiet. Well, I, th I think it could go anywhere, really. It's really hard to predict. And I think what Graham says is right. We're, we're going to keep improving what we're doing because that, that's what we do. You know, we're constantly improving on what we've had before and where we go to next and... You know, even at the AES for Games, we were watching uh, the, the presentation from Dolby about Atmos and how that's going to be in the homes and games are probably going to be mixing for that now. And, and uh, what was it? I can't remember where I saw it, but even little things where I saw a video where some 3D models were created from the recordings uh -huh. as opposed to the other way around to help it sync up even better. So like recordings of coins being dropped, recordings of poles being dropped. And then the 3D animation was then made from that, um, as opposed to the amount of times you would have tried to record in sync with it and you know chopped and changed and whatever. It was doing it the other way around. And I think that the respect for audio is still growing. And I think the possibilities for, for, for audio are always growing. And you know, even in games, there's a lot of moments now where the audio is controlling the visuals and things like that. I mean, Scott Cellphone did a great presentation at the AES, and uh, he did it last year at Develop as well, where it showed, I think it's Advanced Warfighter 2, where they were struggling with uh, how to do this smoke effect from the, you know, the wind and smoke from this plane. And in the end, they, they did the reverse. They ended up controlling the game state from the intensity of the recording, um, as opposed to trying to do recordings to work with it. And I think... That's that's the kind of things we're going to be heading. New ideas, ways to fix problems that are already there, and procedural audio is constantly improving. And with VR and binaural coming back, I think it's. I think you're you know, onto something. I think what you're saying is the sound designer is going to take control of hmm. how the game looks, in a way, and that will sort of bring a new responsibility. And that is something you can already see some trends of as well. One big one for me for that is that uh, uh, Stefan Stramberg became the game director for Battlefield 4 after being audio director lead there for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, and so sort of those kind of things, new kind of people going into new kind of roles. Uh, you see the same thing actually in movies with Gary Rydstrom as well of course <laughs> directing uh, animation movies yeah yeah i think as always it's it, it's constantly changing i mean the, the one thing i've noticed about games and the game audio scene is it, it's it's different to a lot of other entertainment fields because it is so young still but it's evolving at a much faster pace so it, it seems to constantly surprise me with what we're doing next and how quick we're getting there yeah, just to make reference, the the kinetic Foley example you were talking about, we'll link to on the website. It's from uh, the Stanford Research Institute. And there's actually a great article about that Graw 2 um, procedural smoke that we'll link to as well. So definitely peek an eye out for that. And you're right, there's there's definitely a way forward in that. Uh, I. I would also say, Anton, you're maybe just too close to the flame on this one, but this whole VR spatialization thing hasn't really happened yet, but it's, it's blowing up, man. But at this point, you know, there's a couple of really big companies working on things like this. Um, 
you know, Michael can talk about this kind of stuff uh, probably all day, uh, all year. He probably and, does already. Um, then we have, since the Oculus Rift thing happened, every month a new company startup starts. Like yesterday, there was another person on Twitter saying, hey, I'm going to start this 3D audio API. And I'm... I'm temp- like I I hear my I was bound to reply to him saying, "Are you sure <laughs> there's there's like thirty competitors that are four years ahead of you, and how is one person going to be there when this thing is really going to take off next year when this Oculus Rift launches? I mean, sure, but we're talking a minimum of five hardware platforms right now. In, oh yeah, I know. I mean, there's plenty mid-stream. of opportunity for people to develop tech, of course. Um, but that's gonna happen. There's too much money in it. There's the, the the ideas have been there since the since since the seventies or even earlier. But since Ambisonics, you know, we, this has been a problem that's been thought about a lot by smart people. So it's just been halted for other reasons, um, mostly business reasons, I guess. But one uh, one thing I just thought of. And that will be for me voice synthesis because this is completely different from what we're talking about with procedural audio. And voice synthesis has been sort of very slow going, you know, similar to Man. all of these other things. Did you see the great vocal ID tech TED talk about uh, about building, um, you know, vocal phoneme kind of uh, you know patches for people to use? Yeah. Uh, with voice synthesizers? No. They're like, uh, so it's two components. One was uh, one was a human speaking a bunch of words that they were would be able to then pull um, pieces of uh, into a database. And the other one was actually, um, you know, taking a audio snapshot of someone's um, vocalization and the physicality of their um their mouth throat resonance uh and then combining those two into uh you know a voice and being able to take someone who um had a you know was uh speech impaired and being able to use their voice with the synthesizer um, speaking their words. Cool. And it, great TED Talk, fantastic application of what you're talking about, this direction forward for voice synthesis, right? Well, and speaking for games, like that would be the thing yeah. I think that would change a lot. Yeah. Even more so than procedural sound design, once you have uh, uh, an actor that you don't need to get into a studio but you can mm-hmm. constantly have create new speech for it automatically it's you know playing with the right whatever then that yeah it's not really I a think, sound designer's problem i guess sorry michael go i was going to say that for me the the uh the future most promisingly looks like the amalgamation of all these technologies so like the um it, it's the the cool explosion that will happen when you start bringing them together so like you know like Beth, 20 years ago when I first started looking at binaural stuff, and it was all about binaural stuff in isolation. And all you could, in, in a narrow view, would look at was thinking about spatializing audio streams in a particular location. Then you put that together with something like synthesis or procedural audio, and it's like you, you begin to create this world. If you take all the kind of cool technologies that are going on inside and outside games like if you if you imagine what you could do if you, if you take the very best in noise cancellation technology and uh, room modeling technology and procedural audio and voice synthesis and you put that all together in like not just vr applications that but augmented reality applications and then you see the new gaming um, uh, modes that will come out of that stuff too i think it, it's when they stop being the isolated things they are and just become these powerful connected things where you're not like now we're just putting sounds into a world but but then you can have all opportunities to take sounds out of the world take the environment you're in and, and make sounds that don't even exist in that environment and they sound like they're there you know it's um i know it's all kind of uh, cloudy at the moment but I, I think it's when you start pairing all this stuff up that's when the that's when the cool stuff happens and that's that's where the innovation really is it's not the people doing the really low level uh, optimizing a hrtf routine or something 
I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you're right. And it sounds like to hear you say it sounds super sci-fi, like uh, like this idea that there would be a creature in a game and instead of going out and recording, you know, various real life animals, you might just, you know, take a snapshot of its uh, physically modeled vocal cords oh, yeah. right? and use that to generate the sound or oh, you morph your dog that's already in the room there is no there is no sound no sound design did it uh, sorry sound designers um you know it's it's <laughs> but it's it, it's kind of the extreme of user generated content kind of thing you know it's um i don't know I, I, it's crazy when i talk like this i'm a programmer but i think i think when you start thinking beyond the isolated technologies that's when it gets exciting really sure you start pairing up all the different things well and I guess, do do we feel like that has, that there has been a kind of intersection of that technologies in the last maybe five to 10 years where, you know, we're right now looking out in the future and saying, yeah, it's going to come together like that. I guess. Ha- did I that guess, already happen for us? Well, no, I don't know. Once so, already? So maybe I'd say like a multiplayer gaming was something like that where okay. PC and consoles started to talk to each other and you could actually have a social experience even though you weren't in the same room. So, yeah. you know, early Battlefield games, for example, playing on a LAN, uh, you know, played Warcraft 2 across the room. Those kinds of things were felt really special at the time uh, and really unique experiences. Actually, you know, I mentioned this before we started the podcast, but I got this robot vacuum cleaner for my birthday. And it made me feel like I was part of the 21st century in a really big way. And (laughs) it's very shitty in some ways. Like, it gets stuck behind some things. It's a really good one. I mean, it self-trains, has a couple of cameras, and uh, cleans really well, gets all my dog hairs out of the way. Really does a better job than I do, for sure. So I'm fired. (laughs) Um, But what you're saying about the synergy of these things... Definitely yeah. rings a bell because this one talks to me. It's a really crappy voice synthesizer, um, but it talks to you. And that's one of the things that when I read about it, it's actually something that in... There was a, recently a documentary about uh, Japanese robots. And the professor there mentioned that all the appliances in Asia are talking to you now. Your water, cooker, the microwave, all of them have a voice and they speak what they do and not have these odd bleeps that I make. It's kind of like this Dadaist abstract artist have taken over sound and we try to make these icons for everything, but actually the human voice might be the best thing for it. Um, Watch out, I'm backing up my truck. Watch out, I'm backing up my truck. Instead of uh, a bit of... But... um, uh, uh, we have that. We already have that in the UK. We have caution vehicle. It's re- reversing. Well, See, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But <laughs> I don't. You know, but what you're saying but about anyway, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, the yeah. future's the future's now. Yeah. yeah, but then you get into gaming, right? And like, if you have a little robot vacuum cleaner in your house, why not make a game out of it? Like, mm. you know, have a little shooter, and this vacuum cleaner has to dodge your kicks or something or you have a laser gun and you can shoot the vacuum cleaner unless he gets out of the way fast enough uh, that kind of stuff why not I'd be really interesting to watch someone chase a robot vacuum cleaner around the house with a laser gun (laughs) if if, if he misses a bit you can say you missed a bit and then you can shoot (laughs) no the first time that's kind of the next step I guess (laughs) you you... You can train him yeah (laughs) So you, actually what you do is the robot vacuum cleaner, you're watching it in augmented reality and it's cancelled out so you don't see it. And then you have a gun and you just shoot the rubbish. But everywhere you shoot, the vacuum cleaner goes and does it. And then you feel you've just shot all the rubbish away in your room. And it was really a physical vacuum cleaner. I do really love how diverse games are getting. I, I remember, not to totally switch topics here, but man, I remember on my way into the industry feeling like you know, you could see glimpses of how just crazy games were and or could be things like Katamari Damacy or, uh, I don't know, Okami or Shadow of the Colossus, whatever. Just great examples of games that were just a little bit outside of um, the norm. And now to be like all riffing on this game about mopping up blood in a space station, you know, 
It's like games have diversified so much just in the past five or ten years mm. that it's really exciting because I feel like with every uh, branch in genre that happens, uh, there is a need to support that genre with sound in some way. And I feel like that in itself is rapidly iterating on our technologies because we don't just have to support a platformer, an FPS, and an RPG anymore. Our technology needs to support all of these things, all of these experiences that creators are coming up with. And I feel like if there's another component to what's driving this innovation so quickly, it's that, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's really bizarre. It kind of draws on the question that keeps getting brought up is what, what is a game? You know, they're, they're blurring the lines so much now with all the mobile gamings, with all, all the other types of games that are coming out and things that are so close to, to games but not quite, or maybe they are. And I think you're right that the whole blurring of the different fields is, is kind of, as, as along with everything else, pushing and fanning the flames for all of this creation. Yeah, it's Ad Rebellion. We, as I said earlier, we have uh, you know a number of different projects with different platforms, different styles of game. And actually, what I found one of the more industrious uh, sections of the team is the the audio coder. And we have we have uh, you know all our tools are in house, um, so it's not like we all, you know, our audio engine is built into the the game engine, and uh, we can have bits added on, bolted on as as and when we please. Um, yeah, for sure. And if I could make a direct correlation, it's like there's a game called Rocksmith, and it needed MIDI at the backbone of its of its game, right? And I think Rocksmith is a game that's kind of born out of the rock band guitar hero, you know, frequency lineage, right? But they needed that technology in their game, and you know, Wise built it for them, and were then able to put it into their tool sets for everyone to use in any project that was happening. And I think to me, that's, that's the kind of innovation that this genre branching is driving, right? Is that a game comes along, it needs something, and the developer and or the tools manufacturer is able to create that for them and then distribute that, whether it's an open source software or whether it's part of a, a licensed middleware. And then that kind of goes out into the world to find new applications. So I think on that note, uh, I just want to say thanks to everyone for joining us today and sharing your stories, you know, and just uh, giving us a chance to riff a little bit on some of this fun stuff that I know that we're all deeply passionate about. Can, can I, before we go, can I, can I just throw in a quick plug? Um, Please do. Audio Please now, do. May 28th. Um, we've got Paul Weir. Uh, <laughs> yep, Graham. Sorry, man. Uh, I almost guarantee you that Waldeck won't have it out by the 28th. Oh, okay. <laughs> almost guarantee it. Okay. I don't want to speak for him, but... I, I can actually guarantee it, because as we are two shows backed up right now, even if I had finished editing yeah. this before the 28th, yeah, yeah. there's yeah, no yeah, way yeah. this is going to air before the yeah, 28th. Yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah fine, fine. But, no, you've done but what we can say, what we can say is though, if you go to the procedural audio now website right now, you can see the report of all the past talks mm -hmm. that have been and there, future, and you'll yes. probably read about Paul Weir's talk, but you can also see some really cool stuff from the heavy guys and before that, Tenheiser, Joe, and Martin, and you're gonna see the future announcements for all the procedural audio now meetups. I'm definitely gonna make it out to one of them and or the drinks for Christmas probably. But I don't know yet when. <laughs> Probably going to jump on the plug as, as well for the Sound Architect, just in general, to say that we've got lots more interviews and reviews and articles coming up. And That's the soundarchitect.com, right? See? See? So I'll do the plug as well. And Anton, I was going to ask if you think it's too late to get a plug in for February 2016 for Audio for Games. The, depends on how many files Damien deletes between now and then. <laughs> That's audioforgames.net for that one. Cool. Yeah. Well, and there'll be more about that. All right. Well, fantastic. Um, again, thank you all for sharing yourselves today with us and with the community. If uh, 
if we threw anything out there that went over your head out there in the wide world of listenership, send send the mail, send the mail, <laughs> inbox at gameaudiopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at gameaudiopodcast with out the, the A, a at, the at the end. Awkward. Uh, and uh, definitely let us know how we're doing out here. If you're still rolling with us, I had someone say, oh yeah, I just finished. I started at the beginning and I'm current now. When's the next one coming out? And I was like, whoa, 57 episodes to plow through. If it's man, box I can't wait for your, I can't wait for everyone out there to meet Anton and I in person because I feel like we're the same in person as we are on this podcast, aren't we? But thanks again. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the great conversations we had with people. And uh, thanks again. Well, thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Cheers.